Almost Awakened podcast, a no-nonsense approach to spirituality. Here we dive deep into the wisdom traditions while acknowledging insightful breakthroughs in science, psychology, and human development. Our goal is to explore the good life and the very best of spirituality, no-nonsense required. Check us out at almostawaken.org where you can check out past episodes, make a donation, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources we shared. And now, today's podcast episode. Morning, Bill. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing quite awesome. <laughs> Life is good. Um, what's new and exciting with you? Nothing. Nothing at all? No. Nope. Just work and quarantine-ish. Yeah, same. I mean, we're, you know, still, we've never kind of stopped. We were one of these uh, essential businesses in the financial sector. We were lending money out. And so we've never, never been closed down during this whole thing. It's business actually been good, which I think we'll get into today. Um, talking a little bit about that, but um, what do you got for us? What's, uh, what are we doing today? Today we're talking pawn shop. So we're talking about the pawn business, which is fascinating. I managed the family pawn, which you're seeing in the background, uh, family pawn in Hurricane, Utah. Hurricane um, or hurricane? Well, I'm from Ohio, and so the rest of the world says hurricane. Uh, <laughs> but the people in this town decided they wanted to be cool and unique. They decided to name their their city Hurricane um, and be different than all the other people in the world. Um, but it is Utah, so that happens, <laughs> right? Like we like. Yeah. Why can't we just call it what everybody else calls it? But, right. <laughs> it's, large, it's like that. The Lord is looking after us. Let's get her done. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the pawn shop, Bill. Um, I was doing some research because I didn't know like the history of pawn shops. Do you know the history? Um, I know pawn shops have been around forever, ever. Like the two uh, longest running businesses, prostitution and pawn shops. Uh, pawn shops have been around uh, forever and ever because there are people who don't have access to credit. And, they, right. and that's always been the case. And the the way that poor people get a loan, so when they're 50 bucks short on their gas bill, and let's go back a thousand years when when they were whatever they were short on, whatever their, their obligation was, paying the rent on their family farm, uh, whatever it was, they you would end up, the only way you could get money was to go to a pawn shop and take collateral in, take your horse, take... Uh, Take uh, whatever it is you had and go in there and get some sort of loan uh, on your item. And so the pawn shop would hold your item and store it for a certain amount of time, agreed upon time, and then you would pay back some type of amount. So pawn shops have been around for, for a long, 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 long time. Um, it, it, what, what, uh, where do you want to go from there? Sorry, I'm a rambler. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I looked at um, history.com and they said that pawn shops – where the idea of pawn shops have been around for nearly 3,000 years, um, started in ancient China as a way, um, like you said, of granting short-term credit to peasants. Mm. Um, Pawnbroking thrived in ancient Greece and Rome. In fact, uh, one article I read said that the way that pawn shops are set up today, um, it still follows the same pattern that it did in Rome, um, which I thought was interesting. This also said the church tried to put restrictions on how much interest pawn shops could charge in the early 14th and 15th century, um, and that even prominent families in England and Spain um, would would pawn their items, um, you know, to finance, like, wars and Christopher Columbus's expedition and stuff like that. It's cool. 
Yeah, even today, there are certain pawn shops that specialize on catering to very wealthy customers, um, extremely wealthy customers who are going to essentially take loans on their expensive stuff to start new businesses. And so there are pawn shops out there that only do, you know, quarter of a million to, to bigger uh, loans insane. for people. Yeah, yeah. But fascinating history. Um, again, it's just been around so long. There's there's a long line of stories there behind that stuff. So I, I there's often a negative connotation around pawn shops. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I mean, people think pawn shops are this business that just thrive on taking advantage of the poor. Um, but the reality is that the poor don't really have access to loans. Generally, poor people, their credit isn't as good. They don't have the means by which to go to a bank. Their problems are much more um, on them immediately. So you get a, a letter in the mail that someone's going to turn off your gas or your water. Your credit's really low. You don't have a chance to kind of go to a bank and, and work through multiple days of paperwork and getting approved. Um, you need money. You need it now. So people will bring, you know, they just need 20 bucks or 30 bucks. Um, I bet the average loan at Family Pawn is probably twenty five, thirty dollars. Really? Uh, yeah. I mean, we do big loans, but but the average customer comes in with their with their engagement ring and they borrow fifty bucks, um, and they can get money, you know, in ten minutes and be able to pay a bill, and they don't have to to wait multiple days. They don't have to worry about how low their credit rating is, um, and they borrow, come in and borrow fifty bucks, come back, you know, a month or two later, pay sixty bucks and get their ring back. Uh, it's an easy way for a person of low income and one who doesn't have access to credit to get some money and keep keep their life moving along. Interesting. Um, my, I grew up poor, so my dad would often pawn his tools and yeah. whatnot to, to help us get by. So very interesting. What would you say it has been like the most interesting item you've seen come through the pawn shop? The, the, the coolest, um, the coolest two things, I'll give two stories here. Uh, we did a loan on a trombone. Uh, I was probably working at family pond for about a year. A guy comes in with a trombone. It's his, but he doesn't know much about it. He says he's had it for a long time and it's got some weird paperwork with it. I think we loaned him 70 bucks on his trombone. Uh, two months goes by. He never comes back for it. So, so uh, what happens when they don't come back? Well, when a customer, so uh, at Family Pond, you get two months. It's a two-month loan. And you can come in in 30 days and you can save yourself some of the finance charge. Or you can come in at the end of 60 days and, and get your item back that way. If the two months goes by, your your item goes into what's called default. And usually I'll make a phone call or two, try to text the customer as well. If after an effort to try to get them to come in, because our model actually works best. Some pawn shops do work best on letting people expire their things. Mm. And then those things go out onto the shelf for sale. Um, Family Pawn's model has always been that we're happier and and the customer's happier if they get their items back. So we prefer customers to come in and get their stuff back. And and by the way, in the pawn industry, most people think like, ah, I bet half the stuff defaults. I bet 80% of the stuff defaults. The actual stats say that 75 to 80% of people pick their things up. Wow. Um, only about 20 to 25% of items default and then get pulled and put out for sale. Interesting. So when uh, when the effort's made to reach out to the customer, they're not calling back, they're not coming in, we take the item and then uh, essentially expire it, put a price on it, and put it on our shelf and try to sell it. <laughs> so this trombone... Yeah, sorry. Thank you. The trombone, uh, we loaned 70 bucks on it. Two months went by. It defaulted, pulled it, and it had a bunch of really cool paperwork with it. Turns out 
it was autographed, scratched into the trombone, was the signature of the trombone player for some old vintage band from like the 1940s. Wow, like a um, jazz band or something? Yeah, and and this this trombone player was actually credited for writing the lyrics for the song, All I Got for Christmas Was My Two Front Teeth. No way. And so we took that trombone, we put it on eBay, and the $70 loan turned into a $1,000 sale. Uh, there were a couple guys on eBay who knew the history of this uh, this musician, and it was their like that was their hobby was to collect his things. <laughs> and these two guys got into an eBay war over this trombone. The other cool story was uh, a guy, uh, a regular customer of ours, buys storage units, and uh, and then you know goes in and gets the things. And, and a lot of times he'll bring the stuff into our store. He brought me a set of 1934. Skybirds and Skybirds was like baseball cards, but it was um, the image of an aviation person, like Amelia Earhart, for instance, oh, okay. or the Red Baron. Mm-hmm. And then it would have the like this animated picture on the front, this caricature or drawing of the front, and then on the back was just information about that that person uh, and what they'd accomplished um, in terms of flying. And uh, the guy came in. We did a four hundred dollar loan on the cards. Um, they went 60 days. We called him. He said, I'm sorry. I just can't come get them. Do what you want with them. We put those on eBay and made like 3,500 bucks. Wow. Um, we deal with precious metals. We've got religious historical artifacts um, from the Mormon religion out here. Uh, we've had a first edition of the Book of Mormon. We've had, we currently have a first edition of uh, Joseph Smith, who's the founder of Mormonism. His mother wrote a uh, biography of her family and of Joseph Smith. And we have a first edition of that in our store currently. Wow. So yeah, lots of cool stuff. World War II knives come through once in a while. Um, people, you know, people do bring things in that when you go to look them up, they're they're rare and collectible, and you know, we make some money off stuff. That's cool. That's really cool. You're also um, pretty well known for like catching babies. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a video out there um, of of us, uh, or I should say. Uh, of me essentially. So there's a baby put up on the counter and the baby starts to topple over. And I ran towards the thing. I don't know. I covered 12 foot and feels like about a s- half a second. I, I don't and think uh, I've ever seen your reflexes move that fast. Uh, yeah. You know, this is where the, you know, the uh, ego side of me would go, you know, I played sports growing up. I, I played baseball, played football, played basketball. Um, a little bit of, I guess a little bit of athlete, you know, there's that song. Uh, I'm not as good as I, I'm as good as I once was right. Like, um, I, I wouldn't want to catch babies every day because I think I'd drop a lot of babies. <laughs> but this one instance, I was lucky to uh, to be in the right place at the right time. That's awesome. Yeah, there's a video out there. If you type Bill Real catching baby pawn shop, um, you'll see you'll see me again, probably uh, Cat-like run, reflexes. run more in three seconds than I've done in the last five years. So <laughs> um, it was good. Baby okay. didn't die. That was a good day. <laughs> Oh, that it's it is. It was. I've watched the video multiple times. And that kid was, scary. you know, it was a three foot fall. And it, that kid was landing on its head. There's no ifs ands or buts. It was on concrete. Right? On concrete, we have a concrete floor just yeah. for babies. Just for babies. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the things I love about. Uh, uh, there's a comedian, Anthony Jeselnik. You know, and also I think all the comedians do it a little bit here and there. But dead baby jokes are the rave. You know, so Anthony Jeselnik tells quite a few of them. But That's but that horrible. day, that day, a baby lived. Um, because mom and whoever else was there wasn't watching baby and baby toppled over a three foot counter. And luckily, uh, Bill real 
was uh, present. Save the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I did have a question, Bill. Um, you can sell items that are, stuff comes in the store. You can put it up on eBay. Yeah. So um, people bring all kinds of things. Um, we do loans on jewelry. People bring their silver chain or their gold ring. How do you tell something's real? So, uh, man, you're firing away at questions. So the to tell that something's real, so let's just take precious metals, for instance. We have lots of ways. One is that silver and gold are not generally magnetic. Now, silver rounds, uh, silver bullion, silver, certain silver coins uh, will have some a small amount of alloy to them. So there'll be a small amount of magnetism to like a silver round. But a silver round generally is not super magnetic. The, the coin's not going to jump up off of the counter onto the magnet. It's not going to stick to the magnet. And so you can test the magnetism. You can test the weight of items. Certain things when it comes to precious metals have to weigh a certain amount. We know that a peace dollar weighs 26.7 uh, uh, grams. We know that a troy ounce is 31.1 grams. And so when you take an item that should weigh a certain amount and it's off um, even a little bit, that starts to raise concern. Um, when somebody comes in with a block of silver that says 100 ounces on it, it better weigh 100 ounces. On top of that, you can scratch off a little bit of the metal. There are chemicals you can put on those precious metals, and those chemicals uh, react a certain way. So that tells you what the purity of that silver or that gold, whether it's 10K, 14K. So if I scratch off a 10K piece of jewelry, and I put my 10K chemical on, and that um, gold from that ring just immediately vanishes, then I know that that ring is a fake. Um, we can look at diamonds or rings under a loop. A loop is like a small magnifying glass that you put up to your eye. And there are certain character characteristics that a diamond is going to have. We also have diamond testers. So it uh, is an electronic machine that has a little needle to it. And you place that on the diamond and the, it sends out a little bit of heat and diamonds reflect that heat at a certain degree. Um, and so that heat coming back to the sensor then should come back at a certain at a certain temperature. And if it doesn't, then that's not a real diamond. Um, there are lots of ways to you know test stuff. And that's just the jewelry and precious metals side. I mean, when people bring their items in, we're testing their tools or their electronics to make sure all that stuff works as well. It's cool. How did you learn how to do that? S uh, just diving into it. So five and a half, six years ago, I started out here at Family Pawn. I had no pawnbroking experience prior to taking a job with the company. And um, uh, they trained me for about six months at one of the other stores. Um, this is maybe, this is an ego thing too, but I think my boss would say this. I'm, I'm, I'm a smart guy, but I'm also, I've got some street sense. And so I'm good at picking up um, people's body language, uh, the kinds of words people use. Um, but most of it's just experience. You just work every day and you see so many 32 inch TVs come in that you know exactly what you want to pay for a 32 inch television. You see jewelry come in all the time. So you get really good at testing things. You, um, you, people bring the oddest stuff, but you start seeing things you've never seen in your life. You start seeing those things once every month, once every six months. And so now after six years, you, you don't get surprised almost by anything. Uh, very rarely does somebody bring something in that surprises you. We've seen somebody bring in their prosthetic leg before. We've had somebody bring in an elephant foot. Um, yeah, so uh, we've had strange stuff in our company. But after, you know, the company's been in business 23 years, I've been doing the six years, you just see a lot of stuff from people. Every day, six, seven people come in with something. Um, 
And a lot of people come in with things they think are worth money that aren't. So you get to see a lot of stuff that's not worth anything too. And you just get good at kind of sorting that out. And we live in 2020. So you've got the internet. And so there's a lot of times when people bring things in that I'm looking stuff up to see um, what like other auctions or online retailers have things for. Hmm. So what would you give for a, an elephant foot? Uh, does it have the paperwork with it? Yeah, because it would need the paperwork oh, because paperwork. it's the elite. Well, this the elephant foot we had did have paperwork because it was a it was a baby elephant. Number one, oh. poor baby elephant. The paperwork indicated that it had been uh, harvested legally and that it had uh, died before it had its leg. Like it had died natural causes, and then they went and harvested its parts. Um, but it had paperwork that said it was all done legally. I don't think it can happen today. It was an older elephant foot with older paperwork, but um, you know, yeah, you things come in. If an elephant foot comes in and it's got paperwork to it, um, that's kind of cool thing to have. You're willing to pay a little more for stuff that's cool on your wall. I don't know, maybe maybe a few hundred bucks. So bring your elephant, bring your baby elephant feet <laughs> into Family Pond, where we'll pay you money for those uh, baby elephant feet. Luckily, I don't have any. This elephant foot was turned into a footstool. So I, I like to joke with customers that it's the largest footstool in the world. Interesting. Because what bigger foot can you have than an elephant foot? Uh, a regular elephant foot, not a baby. <laughs> not a baby. <laughs> Poor baby elephant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, how do you tell when an item is stolen? Do you guys often get stolen items and how do you, how does that work? Yeah, that's another reason why the pawn industry sometimes gets a bad rap. It's assumed that we just take in all kinds of stolen stuff because whenever you watch the movies, you see somebody take their stolen item into the pawn shop and the guy behind the, you know, the the fenced uh, gate there at the window and he and he gives you some money for it. But um at Family Pawn and I think most pawn shops are are operating on the up and up. Um and and it also brings us to maybe security reasons too. Um there are thieves out there and they try to take things to pawn shops. Number one, pawn shops have, at least in Utah, have to send up in a digital file every 24 hours to the police department that says everything we took in, uh, what the model number is, what the serial number is. We have to send um, pictures of each item in that file as well. So the police, anytime something's reported stolen, they are going into their database and they're trying to cross-reference with all the pawn shops to see if they can find things. If something is stolen, if you're a thief, for all the thieves out there listening right now, the worst place you can take something is to a pawn shop because it's the best chance that you're going to get caught. Um, I would say out of all the things we take, and we take thousands and thousands of things a year into our shop, once, maybe twice a year, a police officer walks into my shop and ask about an item and put something on hold. Um, and maybe it, and maybe this would be a good chance just to talk about how that works. A police officer comes in, um, suggests that they've had a report that an item has been stolen. It looks like it shows up in our database. Um, we then work with the police officers and we love the police and we work with them closely. We um, essentially sit there and have a conversation with them about what this item is, bring it out from the warehouse, have them see it, have them verify that this is the actual stolen item. They put a hold on it so that county prosecutors and law enforcement can um, make charges and begin to work out a uh, legal side of a case to prosecute the person who stole the item. And then uh, the prosecutor issues a release letter and the item is released right back to the victim. And then us as a secondary victim then work out getting um, compensated through the legal proceedings. That's crazy. Um, somebody asked, 
um, they, their question was, pawnbrokers seem to have a vast knowledge on a wide array of subjects. How much of that is real knowledge and how much of it is just bullshitting? Um, a lot of it's just real knowledge because you just, you, like I said earlier, you see so much stuff. Um, it, and it's it's also like reading the people who come in. Like we were talking about how do you tell when something's stolen? We we keep an eye on the, the bookings in our county. We watch the arrest. We make notes in customer accounts of when we learn some detail about that person that would help us make an educated decision about whether to trust them as a customer or not, right? So if somebody's arrested for retail theft five times, uh, the chances of me wanting to to throw a lot of money at something they're bringing in or to take a chance on something that doesn't have their name on it, doesn't they don't have proof, they don't have a receipt, uh, I'm just not going to mess around with that kind of stuff. So when it comes to people, it's just, it's watching uh, arrest, it's having a history with customers, it's reading body language and words. When people bring... Um, items in. Uh, well, go, go back to the original question again. You said, so is is most of it just knowledge, or is some of it bullshitting? Um, it's experience, and there's some bullshitting involved. Um, what makes the pawn shop really cool, right, is that people are coming in, they have an item, and they want a certain amount for it, and you only want to pay a certain amount for it, and there's this negotiation that occurs. Um, it benefits me to know as much as I can about the, the product coming across the counter, the, the item that this person has brought in. So again, I'm using the internet. I'm, I use eBay every day. I use Amazon every day. I'm looking at walmart.com every day. Um, uh, if something comes into the shop, you better bet your bottom dollar that I know what that item costs brand new. And I know what that item goes for used. Um, and now the negotiation begins based on condition, based on customer history. Um, it, most of it's just experience and having tools and access to tools and resources that tell you the value of things. What would you say your most commonly um, brought in item is? Yeah, I would say it's uh, jewelry. Most people bring, you know, um, an engagement ring or um, a light gold chain diamond stud earrings, uh, but other things that we get, uh, TVs are big, power tools are big, uh, musical instruments we deal in. Uh, a lot of people bring gold and silver. They'll come in with 10 gold pieces and want to borrow, you know, $5,000. Um, electronics, tablets, laptops, a lot of firearms. We probably do top two or three items that we take in. Firearms are, are right at the top of the list. A lot of, a lot of guns. So those are the things. Hmm. That's cool. I'm just thinking. So if you have. Yeah. I mean, there's other cool things. Um, pawn shops generally are on the top of the list of who a, uh, a burglar or a robbery is going to occur at. So there are security measures that we do. We've got um, about 30 cameras in our store and I'm talking high definition cameras. I can, I can make out how many, you know, how many hairs are coming out of your ear if I need to. Uh, the cameras are, are extremely high quality. And uh, they're all over outside of the building, inside of the building. We've got a Walgreens next to us. They've been robbed three or four times in my six years here. And the police have actually come over and asked for our camera footage that covers their real estate um, because our cameras from further away are better than their cameras on property. And so if somebody comes into our store, we're, we're going to see who you are. We've had people shoplift before and we just pull the cameras up and the police are like, yep, I know that person. I'll go get them right now. 
And uh, so we've actually never had a shoplifting that didn't end up getting a criminal caught. Um, so it's not like people can just get away with shit, you know? So cameras all over the place. Uh, we've got alarm system. Um, there are alarm buttons all over the store. If, if, the, if one of our employees is standing in a spot showing you something, they are within arm's reach of an alarm button. Um, some of the cameras are visible. Some of the cameras are hidden. Some of the alarm buttons are visible. Some of the alarm buttons are hidden. Um, but that's, you know, the security part of it. Um, we just are really smart about watching people, keeping an eye on things, being aware of what inventory we have. So if suddenly there's an empty spot on a shelf, we know immediately that something was taken. Um, tool sets, all, you know, the, the labeling on them tells you that it had two batteries with it. It had a charger with it. So if something comes up missing, if you walk down an aisle and you're like, wait a minute, I thought this had two batteries, you can immediately look at the tag and see that it had two batteries and now there's only one. Roll the tape back 10 minutes, you got a guy putting a battery in his pocket and call the police and within a couple of hours, they've got their guy. So security is a big thing. We've never been robbed or held up or anything like that. Um, You know, all of our cameras are on battery backups. So if someone were to even try to go to the extreme of cutting the power, um, the cameras keep rolling. If, if someone were to come into our store, all the precious stuff is in a big vault, um, that has, I think three different locks before you actually get into the vault. So you're not going to get through that. Um, just so security is a big deal. So that's kind of a cool thing that uh, I think family pond does a hell of a good job at. Do you guys work with other pawn shops in the area or are you, is it like pretty exclusive, you know? Yeah. Our company has four stores, but there are lots of pawn shops in Southern Utah we actually, um, if if a pawn shop, if our side of things or one of the other companies has a issue with a customer, they'll let us know or we'll let them know. If they get a report that something's been stolen, they'll let us know that something's been stolen. Um, and so there's some there's some communication between us and some of the other shops to kind of weed out some of the more serious infractions. Yeah, if somebody's taking fake jewelry around town, you know, we had a... Uh, a person come in recently with uh, a bunch of gold and it looked looked legit, but through our testing, we were able to figure out that it was all fake. And these folks were, were from out of town. They were trying to pull a scam on the entire town, just go from shop to shop. And so as soon as they left the building, we reached out to other pawnbrokers in the area and just said, hey, be on the watch. There's somebody coming through with what looks like real gold, but it isn't. And here's how here's how I did the test. And here's how you can know. And that way nobody else gets caught up by the person. We don't want to see um, bad people doing, taking advantage of the local businesses here. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of other questions that I had. Um, somebody was asking me, um, the other day during COVID and our business has actually been better, less customers. So everybody was, you know, people are staying home, less people are coming in, but we've sold a ton of guns, ton of precious metals, but even generally our sales have been good video game systems, uh, tools, Um, I think, you know, people got their stimulus money and they had the intention of getting something. And so then now, because they realize a recession's on the way, they look for less expensive places to buy things. And a pawn shop's a great place for that. People, you know, the listening audience, they're, they're in their, you know, probably heads thinking like, oh, you know, that's where you go to get a loan. But the reality is that pretty much anything that you would want to buy on a regular basis, semi-regular basis, just a thing you need to have. I need to have a TV in my home. Um, most of the stuff we sell is priced about half what they are new. So, you know, guns are a little more guns tend to be about 70% of what they are new. Um, but most things in the store are about half what they are new. And so a lot of times stuff comes through and it's a good chance for me to get something. Uh, I got a lot of things in my house that have come through the pawn shop 
um, a video game here, or there, um, different kinds of electronics, speakers and things that we've got in our home. So for listeners, I mean, if you're, if you need a TV, if you need, uh, you want to buy a guitar, you want to, you want to go get, um, um, a tablet or something. If you want to, you want to go get, um, a laptop or a desktop computer, pawn shops are great places to pick up stuff at a value. What other thoughts you got? Um, we talked about the coolest, one of the coolest things that you've seen. That was the trombone, right? Yeah, the trombone, the sky bar, the skybird cards. Um, yeah. But we've gotten lots of World War II knives, World War II bayonets, um, really cool coins, rare, rare gold pieces, uh, old, old currency. Um, we've, you know, things come in. Uh, we've gotten famous artist paintings. Uh, we've gotten rare books before. Uh, you know, there's lots of stuff, but, but again, that's just, you watch the, the show Pawn Stars, for instance, and you see every episode has this cool thing that comes in and there's a lot of make-believe in that show. There's a lot of things that aren't, aren't legit. The interactions between uh, the employees and the customers is somewhat staged. Um, you know, every day we see things come in, but most of it's just normal stuff, just normal things that people have. It's not, it's not an everyday occurrence that somebody brings in something that's extremely rare. It's, it's, you know, 10 times a year that something cool comes into the the pawn shop that, um, that you just haven't seen before and has a ton of value to it. Um, maybe let's talk about how maybe one thing that, it, that you've learned through this COVID stuff. Something I've learned through the COVID stuff. Um, I've learned that our system is fragile. The, the, the first day or two that we were announcing that we were going to, sh- everybody was going to shut down. Um, stock market crashes, right? Uh, toilet paper is gone. Paper towels are gone. Facial tissues are gone. Bleach and any other disinfectants off the shelf. Uh, I saw in our industry, I saw precious metals vanish. Precious metals were gone. Gold, silver, gone. And the prices crashed, but what people had to pay to get it was way above what the value was the day before. Um, everybody came in and bought guns. Everybody was nervous. We we had one customer who just bought tens of thousands of dollars of, of precious metals, both at our store as well as in the community. Um, as I sat and watched it unfold, I went to Walmart last Sunday and their meat aisle was only about 40% full about 60% empty. And it strikes me that if we didn't have access to groceries and, and it's, it's a very fragile line between where we're at right now and not having access to, to meat or fresh food. If you couldn't get food, your options from a normal way, your options are to either go find it somewhere else or to take it from your neighbor. And so prior to COVID-19, I thought, you know, this system, this system's fine. The system can handle some bumps and bruises. And the reality is no, this thing we call America, this thing we call democracy, this thing we call, um, you know, just regular societal systems that are at work, they are extremely fragile and it doesn't take much at all for the entire thing to collapse. So that was kind of a precious lesson, I think, um, as I sat back and watched all this unfold and friendships and social interaction um, is, is a really important part of being a human being. And when we humans aren't getting as much of that as we feel we need, um, our, our well-being uh, declines. 
Yeah, significantly. It's been interesting um, for me to to look at that uh, aspect. There's There's been a couple of times when just so depressed, so down, so just needing other people. And so it's been interesting. Yeah. Um, we're, we're lucky again, we're lucky that this thing isn't, um, as serious as some pandemics have been and, and maybe it gets there. Maybe I, you know, we, nobody knows what it looks like in the future, but it looks like this is going to be a pretty mild thing when it's all said and done. And again, we talked about this maybe a month ago, there's this conversation about whether do you, you open back up and put more people at risk or whether you stay home and protect as many people as possible from getting it. And I used to think that question was a simple question. You protect lives and you just deal with the repercussions. But now watching all this unfold, I, I don't know that a system can shut down for an extended period of time without causing just as much, if not more damage in other ways. Um, and so if had this thing been worse, let's say, 8% of people who get this thing die. You have to treat that very different than when one or 2% of people who get it die. Um, because then we would have to stay home. We just can't lose 8% of the population, especially if it's not just 90 year olds, um, but now it's equally affecting babies and 10 right. year olds and 20 year olds. So um, had we lived during some other pandemic, I can't imagine you just, you essentially have to pretend it's not there and go on with life and mourn loss as it occurs. doesn't seem right, right? Like it's a lose-lose situation. Yeah. Not everything in this world's fair. I don't like that. Yeah. Um, how are you guys handling it? What, what have you learned from COVID-19? Um, it was interesting because in the beginning I was completely fueled by the fear, uh, you know, just watching it kind of spread across the world and then across the country and, um, there were, you know, I was checking my phone like multiple times a day, watching the case numbers continue to rise, you know, in places like New York and Washington and things like that. And it just got so overwhelming and so all consuming. I, I had to turn off my phone for a couple of days, like over a weekend and just shut it out. I can't, I can't keep focusing on, um, the numbers, you know, rising and all the anxiety that that created. And, um, it, it just interesting watching myself be fueled by all of that fear. And then, you know, the, what if, like, what if I get it? And what if I sp spread it to my friends or what if I, my kids and, you know, just all that anxiety. And so I think I've gotten to a place over the last month or so where I'll check it. I, it's, I, especially the numbers in our area I'm, I want to be aware of. Um, but just making the conscious decision that I can be careful and I can, Try to be safe, um, cognizant, and aware of other people, but I don't want to live in fear anymore. Yeah, I've I've been watching, and again, some good news that's coming out. The early studies on some of these vaccines. I think there's two that have come out in terms of the early data, um, and they seem to be quite effective. So there are vaccines that are being in tested. They're in the early stages that have shown to be working. So that's on the way. Um, the other thing they've shown is that when they do transfer antibodies to a, another human, that that is showing some significant effectiveness as well. Um, some of the drugs, I forget what it was, Gilead, uh, Gilead makes the, is it, do you not pronounce it, Mikhail Resvedere, Resvedan or something like that? 
Do you know yeah. off the top of your head? I don't. I, I know it starts with an R. Yeah. I don't remember the name of the drug, but I've Resbedir. seen it. Resbedir. Yeah, something like yeah. that. But it, it seems to be showing some level of effectiveness too. And so I think in the next, you know, three, four months, something uh, effective at limiting serious symptoms is going to, to be out there and available. And hopefully if that's the case, I know there was one study that came out yesterday that their their data shows that we should be past this um, by September. Um, and that seems to be the most optimistic one. It probably goes a little longer than that. But I think the data now, we're starting to get feedback that there are mechanisms in place that will allow us to control this thing. So until the next one pops up, because that's going to happen again, right? Every hundred years, give or take, uh, evolution causes some strain of something to become part of uh, a contagion that humans catch and, and we have to deal with this every so often. It's been interesting too, Bill, as I've watched um, people that I know really take sides. Have you noticed like there's, there seems to be polar opposites of people who, who completely support, um, you know, all the regulations and the shutting down and the government telling us exactly what to do and when to do it. And then people who are completely opposite, like don't take away my freedoms. Don't tell me what to do. It's just been interesting to see the divisiveness and, and and you can see how um, if a system doesn't cater to the extremes, at least a little bit, in other words, there has to be rhetoric of like, Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa we're going to open back up. We're going to open back up because if, if you don't give that rhetoric, then this extreme side of things, they're ready to literally take their guns and, f- and try to force the government into doing something. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and there is this debate like, um, does the government have the right to slow down or inhibit the movement of healthy citizens at the expense of thinking that some of them are sick, that we just don't know it? And does a, a system have the right to do that to its citizens, its free citizens in this country, in order to protect those same citizens? And um, I don't like the extremes on either side. And I think we have to just be smart and say like, look, if there really is a disease going around our population that we can transfer to other humans without knowing that we even have it. And, and that risk is significant in terms of the type of illness and whether mortality, people's mortality ends. Then I think that the governments do have a right um, to put in measures that slow down or stop people from their movement. Um, on the other hand, you can also see in countries that are very unhealthy how they use these kinds of mechanisms to control their citizens and to control the amount of information people get, to control whether people are able to operate in a way that would run counter to what the what the system wants. Um, and so those those extremes are, I think, also telling of ways in which unhealthy systems can operate. Yeah, yeah. Um, trying to go offhand, you know, back to the pawn shop for a second. Psychology yeah. has been a huge thing. I, I took a lot of psychology classes in uh, college. I was going to be a teacher, and um, I, I I was kind of a troubled kid as a teenager. You know, I, I used drugs and kind of you know I shoplifted, and I, I I had some immoral, I guess, experiences as as a kid. Um, and in some ways, those kinds of interactions that weren't real healthy actually gave me kind of some, some uh, a little bit of wisdom when thieves and stuff come in. Um, I've always been kind of a student of body language, what direction people look when they're talk, which, which direction their eyes go in, whether people look you in the eye when they're talking, um, the kinds of things people say when you ask follow-up questions. 
So someone comes in, for instance, to do a loan, I want to loan them as much money as I possibly can because they're going to pay, I'm going to make my profit on an interest amount that they pay on that item. On the other hand, when I buy something, I want to buy it for as little as I possibly can because I'm going to make money on putting a fair price on it. And whatever that markup is between what I bought it for and what I sell it for, that's my profit, right? And so people who uh, try to manipulate pawn shops. So say somebody comes in with a broken TV, somebody comes in with a stolen item, they want to get as much money as possible. So they know the game. They'll tell us that it's a pawn. It's a loan. Uh, I just want to loan. I just want to do a loan on this brand new tool that's still in the box that I've never used. Right. And so it's my job to figure out whether an item is stolen or, and whether that person really does intend to come back for it. If they're not coming back for it, I want to throw a really low price. If they are coming back for it, and I'm confident that they are, I want to I want to loan them as much as I possibly can on the item. And so when people come in, I mean, asking the right questions, um, uh, looking at the you know, is, does the item have somebody else's initials on it? I mean, that, that seems like a no brainer. Um, we test the item if it doesn't work. Um, there's certain things you can say to somebody. There's certain body behaviors that. A person who's being dishonest, they they just give up. They, they won't make eye contact, for instance. They'll look down or their eyes will shift into the corner of their head instead of looking at you. Um, we, we'll ask them, hey, how do you turn this generator on? And they'll go, oh, I don't know. I haven't used this thing in two years. I don't know how it turns on. Well, if you don't know how your own item turns on, chances are it's not your item. And so there's ways in which to, to interact with a customer just to, to kind of get them to tell you whether they want to or not what their real intentions are. So that becomes fun. I I think the pawn business is a huge game of psychology and and to be honest, manipulation at times, right? I want to get that item for 70 bucks and I want to sell it for 115 or 120. That person wants me to pay them a hundred bucks because that's about what they paid for it. Um, You know, there's just a game to be played. And so it's a lot of fun to have the back and forth. It's a lot of fun to see, if you can get people to come to where you need them to be rather than them manipulate you to go to where they need you to be. Um, it's I, every day I look forward to getting up and, and going to work and I really enjoy my job. It's a fun job. That's awesome. Um, what kind of questions what, do you typically ask a customer? So they'll, they'll come in and they'll say, um, I just want to do a loan on this. Right. And my next question to them is, so you want to sell it, huh? And, uh, and I'm, I, I know what they said. I'm asking the question again because I want to push them a little more. I want them to establish firmly that they want to do a loan, for example. So some people will come back and go, oh, do you pay more when when uh, when I, you just buy it? And uh, at that point, I know that they're willing to let it go, right? If I'm just a little more, maybe they're going to let it go. And so that's a, a good question. Um, if If it, you know, somebody brought a watch in the other day and it was a high-end watch brand name. But the watch didn't feel legit. So I asked the lady, where'd you buy the watch? And rather than say, you know, from a credible REITs uh, seller of those, that brand of watches, she got really defensive. Why would you ask me that? Why would you want to know where I got this watch? That's really rude to ask somebody that. Well, the fact she doesn't want to answer my question tells me right away that this isn't her watch and, and this thing isn't real. So it's just pushing people to explain better where they got it what they use it for, how long have they had it. Um, Even if someone says they want to do a loan, I press again and try to ask in some other way if they want to sell it instead. 
Um, so if you go into a pawn shop, I mean, yeah, you generally can get a little more by doing a loan than selling it outright. Um, but pawn shops are equipped to try to figure out whether you really do want to sell it or not. So there, there's lots of little tricks to the trade. Um, guy come in yesterday. He comes in yesterday with a camera and the camera doesn't, uh, doesn't work right for him. And he goes, Oh, I just, I just bought this thing, uh, like a month ago and I, I don't really want, you know, a refund, but I'd like to trade it in for another camera that you have. Um, and you can just, something didn't feel right. So we went into our system and tried to find the old sale and the sale had occurred two years ago. So he had had this camera for two years and had come in and tried to, you know, make us look silly by getting us to trade his two-year-old camera for something else. Um, but it was obvious that he'd had it for a long time by our system and uh, our warranty is 30 days. We certainly stand behind that, but you can't come back after two years and expect somebody to do something. And if you're going to lie, we're just, we're going to have enough information on our side of the counter to figure that out, hopefully. And most of the time we do. It's cool. It sounds like an interesting job. It is. Every day is something. Every day we're buying, doing a loan, selling something that uh, has a cool story to it. We had uh, another kind of cool story maybe, and in, in, I don't have much after this, but uh, an old guy, and we've had this happen a few times where people, have, someone's tried to take advantage of another human being. So one instance is where an old guy comes in, he wants to do a title loan, but he, he looked nervous and he kept like looking over his shoulder. And I could tell something wasn't right. So I took him off to the side and I said, what's going on? I said, you want to do a title loan? I said, I'd love to loan money out, but there's something wrong here. Could you please tell me what's going on? And he goes, I'm not supposed to say anything, but there's a guy outside in the parking lot who he came into our, our neighborhood and he was offering to fix certain things. And so I had something that needed fixed. And so I asked him to do it. And when it was done, he told me I owed him like 10 times the amount that he quoted me. And he said that he was going to kick my ass if I didn't give him the money that of the thing he just fixed. Um, so at that point, we call the police and we get the police on the way. And this guy, the the harasser, actually walks into the shop because the guy's been in my shop for a long time now, 10 minutes or whatever. So he knows something's up. So he comes in and pretends he's looking at musical instruments. Big guy, 350-pound guy. This guy was going to kick this old man's ass, no doubt. Um the police show up and immediately we can get the police to take this other guy. And they arrested him, hauled him away uh, for trying to scam this old guy out of his money. So there's been times where, again, the property across the street has been robbed. We've worked with police to get them video footage of the robbery of the suspect coming and going. Um, we've uh, called the police when we've had a customer who seems like they're distressed. Um, we've had customers come in who, um, have tried to take out money on items. One guy came in with a bunch of gold coins and wanted to borrow money because somebody in Saudi Arabia promised him a half million dollars. And so, you know, people think pawn shops, again, he pointed this early on that if they're dishonest, the reality is that, you know, I'm a good human being and I'm trying to help people along the way. And I'm definitely trying to make money for my company. But when something is outside the bounds of normal, healthy business interaction, um, I don't hesitate to get the police involved, even if that means me losing a transaction uh, in order to help a, a human being not not be taken advantage of. So lots of cool stuff in that way goes on too. People come in to borrow money for a reason. Um, and sometimes those reasons involve something unethical going on before they got to my door. Yeah, it's cool. I um, My perception of 
pawn shops has shifted, you know, since meeting you and Chris and, and interacting because again, as, as a kid, you know, my, my dad would pawn stuff all the time to try and make ends meet. And oftentimes he would come back saying, oh, they sold it out from underneath me and I couldn't get it back, you know? And so as a kid, all I heard was negative. Um, so it, it certainly has shifted in a, in a more positive light, just seeing how you and Chris handle things and how you interact with customers and. Yeah. People do, you know, people do lose their things and people are upset sometimes. So, um, sure. But it's not necessarily always your fault, you know, like it, my dad probably defaulted. He right. probably never came back for it. Yep. He agreed to a certain reason. loan, mm-hmm. right? He agreed to a 30 day loan or a 60 day loan or a 90 day loan. And that loan expired and maybe his phone number changed in the meantime. Maybe mm-hmm. something else happened. Maybe the phone was disconnected for a week. Who knows? Right. And, and the shop has at some point to pull the stuff. Um, I know in our instance, we, when customers, especially good customers, when customers go past due on their things, I've held stuff for three, four months past the due date, just because I know that person doesn't want to lose it and they don't have the means by which to get it back right now. Um, we've had people, We've had people come in um, after their things have defaulted long and we've held them. And now the interest is hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And we say, look, just just pay us 40 bucks and uh, we'll let you get the item current or get it out. We've we've had you know instances where people come in and they are in dire need for money. Um, a guy came in a couple weeks ago, pretty much homeless, and he had junk with him and he wanted to borrow $10. And there was nothing there of value. We couldn't loan anything on his on his items. But we just gave him a ten dollar bill from from the drawer. Um, you know, you, there's instances where you just help somebody out and just forget the business part of it. Um, those kinds of things happen pretty regularly. Yeah, um, it's it's a people. Most people get their stuff back, and we want people to get their things back. And so the things that go out for sale are the things that people just go look. I want it, but I can't. I just don't have any money, or people intended to let it go anyway. Um, most people who want their things back, get their things back. And, and I think that it, it'd be a depressing job if 80% of people lost their stuff and sure. people were angry at me all the time for putting their things out for sale. The business models made to keep all of us happy. We make some money and we provide a service that people don't have access to those funds. Otherwise, right. I get tons of thank yous from customers who go, you know, if, without you, I don't have a way to borrow this 20 bucks. I don't have any family. This is all I got is this flat screen TV. I don't have a, any money in my bank account. I think you'd be surprised how many human beings in the United States of America don't even have bank accounts. Um, that I, it's just the world doesn't always work the way we want it to. And so somebody's going to provide loans to low income, low credit folks and people who need money super quickly who can't wait the two weeks for the bank to process a loan. Right. Um, we're there to provide a service. It's cool. It's been around for a long time. Yeah. Fun, fun business. I, I can't imagine doing anything else. I worked in the, in the flooring industry before this and um, I liked who I worked with, but my job was boring. Uh, I don't feel this job is boring. I, every day I look forward to getting up and getting in there and seeing what's going to happen today. And every day is different. And every day you got to be on your toes because anything can happen. So yeah, I love it. Hey, this okay, is fun, anything though. else? Not that I can think of. It's just cool to learn about the, the pawn industry and, you know, yeah. chat. Well, you're looking great. I can't wait for this. I mean, we're kind of back to supposed to build a meet in groups of 50 or more, but it almost makes it more scary because nothing (laughs) really changed. We didn't, we didn't go from like, this is kind of bad to it's not that bad. We kind of went from like, people can catch it, but not a lot of people are going to die to 
now you can get together in groups of 50, but people are still going to catch it. And you know, right. some people are going to die still. <laughs> I feel I feel relieved because church is now deemed essential and can yeah and church so is church. He, yeah Trump thinks church is essential Utah certainly thinks church is essential um, so we'll uh, just have our own church we got to celebrate yeah, Kelsey's graduation and yeah but with without scriptures right we'll just we'll supp- we'll keep the well, sacrament <laughs> well you know these the, grubby fingers well you know I mean I'll have a shot glass with. <laughs> My own sacrament in there, right? I mean, we'll we'll change the symbols, but we'll right. you know we'll use different things. Um, but yeah, we'll you got it, cool. Yeah, all right. So I'm hoping hoping in the next couple of weeks we'll just see how things play out. But that'd be fun. Let's do it. Big party. One of us should just have it and cough all over everybody. Let's just all get it, <laughs> get through it, and then you've got you've got you know antibodies and we're good to go. No, I just really quick. I had strep a couple of weeks ago. And because I had a fever and sore throat, I had to get a COVID test. That was horrific. They take that like swab and go like up in your all brain, right? It's like six inches long, like all the way. That doesn't even, I don't even know where six inches, you know, what? Ah. They they twist it so that it's like rubbing. It, I thought my eyes. Does it feel it, like oh. they're not even in your nose anymore? Like there's some other It feels other like plane. they're piercing your brain <laughs> with Just, a hot poker. Yeah. So painful. <laughs> 10 to 15 seconds. And they're rubbing, mm, like, twisting No, it. no, thank you. I'll so, just, either I, I you know, either I don't have it or I have it. Like, if I have it, I'm on a ventilator. And if I don't, then I don't. That's pretty uh, simple. Let's let's hope nobody gets it. Oh, yeah. So. I'd rather lose a finger, I think, than, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it was awful. Uh, yeah, you know, whatever. Sooner or later, this thing's going to be over or we're going to die. I guess. And, you know, what's kind of cool is someday, like, shit's going to happen. Someday the sun's going to just fucking die, right? <laughs> and our planet just does something different. And it's not going to be in the orbit it's in. It's not going to have sunlight. So everybody in the planet's going to die. Yeah, but that's like millions of years down the but road. Whenever it is, there's a moment in time where people go like, eh, I wish I could have that COVID pandemic instead. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not that bad. Um. You know, know, in the history of things, you know, dinosaurs at one point said like, hmm, I wish we could have just gone through COVID. <laughs> yeah. The short arm. Where have we seen T-Rex. those short arms before? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Anything right. else, kiddo? That's it. All right. You're beautiful. Have an awesome week. And like the next time our friends get together, make sure you're there. Okay. <laughs> okay. I love you. Love you too. Tell Amanda Kay. hi. We'll do. Come to Family Pond and bring the $20 in your pocket and let's see what you can get. That's and right. don't forget, every kid gets a free toy. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Have fun. Okay, love you. Bye-bye. Bye. Love you, too. This has been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org, where you can check out past episodes, make a donation to keep this podcast running, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit nonsensespirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director Brittany Hartman.